Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Wealth and Income Podcast. I almost slipped right there. Yeah. I almost slipped. <laughs> and I almost slipped for you because it was like, I kind of say it in my head as you're saying it. And I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to say here? Um, <laughs> we'll get the hang of this one time, right? <laughs> eventually, <laughs> eventually we'll have this under control. So today we wanted to have a conversation about conversations that we've been having really acutely over the last couple of days, but we kind of have on a regular yeah. basis, um, almost an annually and strangely enough, all around this moment, right? All around kind of fourth quarter of what the heck am I doing with my life? I think is a, uh, a repeating pattern of conversations that all of us have at some point, but you and I have fairly regularly, um, and, and the genesis of this conversation actually came from a Kevin O'Leary quote. Uh, so if you've ever seen Shark Tank, he's the the balding guy uh, kind of on the right side of the deal. Fun guy to listen to. But he and I'm going to quote the quote here. He said, um, the annual salary is the drug. And he puts drug in quotation marks that employers feed you to forget your dreams. Um, and when I think about that, it reminds me of this conversation that we have a lot of times around sort of the midlife crisis. And what the heck am I doing with my life? Did I sum that up fairly well? Yeah, I think you did. It's it's uh, the trade for um, I will take comfort over happiness or I will take comfort over fulfillment. Um, and I think this happens a lot where people get comfortable and even if they're not happy, they get too scared to make changes. But I also think the reason that this conversation has been coming up as much as it has been uh, especially in the past couple of weeks is because everybody's getting ready to make new year's resolutions. And so they're looking at their life and thinking about what kind of changes they want to make. But I also think there's something about that fourth quarter push that makes people tired. And so I think that's another reason that it comes up, but I do actually feel like we have this conversation year round it's just more frequent this time of year. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right. I think it's that uh, we all start taking stock and, okay, what, what do I want next year to look like? And how did we, cause I had this conversation with an Uber driver a couple of days ago and he's like, holy crap, it's December. Yesterday, it was January. And how did today this it's December, right? And it just kind of shows up. And I think, it, you know, as, as I've gotten older, you, you were Benjamin Button in female form. You just keep getting younger, clearly. But as I've, I, as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, I've got fewer years on the planet than I did a couple <clears> of years ago. What does it all mean? Like some of that existential. Well, total aside, but since you said it, I'm going to bring it up. I actually found myself this morning thinking that I would totally do a services trade. If somebody could tell me how to cut my aging in half, then I would do consulting for free to tell them how to, you know, double their income. You cut my age in half, I'll figure out how to double your income. And I don't think I can say that because it's promissory, but I'm like, someone wants to do that services trade with me. Somebody wants my consulting to tell me how I can continue to look young for the rest of my life. So totally yeah. unrelated, but maybe not since what we're really kind of talking about is a midlife crisis. You know, I mean, I, and here's, here's where I think this is relevant, even if you're not in the space that you're having a midlife crisis right now, 
when I think about how I approach things in my 20s and even in my early 30s, I had this sort of like uh, unfettered optimism and enthusiasm and energy that I could dedicate toward building this life that was going to be so exciting. And I can remember times, Eric, where you and I were in the office multiple days until, you know, 9 p.m. or sometimes later. And we were like, not tired. We were like, woo, this is all so exciting. Let's do this stuff. And right. um, God, I think about being at the office that late now. And I'm like, woo, I'm tired before I even start if that's my my day. And so I, I think being aware that how you feel right now is not how you're always going to feel is a kind of self-awareness that when we're younger, we don't always apply to ourselves. Right. And so this conversation, I think, is really meant for people who are either in the throes of questioning, like, is this it? Is this what my life is? Should I be doing something different or bigger or, you know, whatever? Or am I on the right path? I think that's part of it. But I also think for people who are like, man, I am just killing it and I'm loving everything. I think that idea that you will have the same energy level as you get into your fifties or your sixties as well, I think is unrealistic because your priorities change, your health changes, all of these things in your life can change. And so setting yourself up for flexibility is incredibly important when you're younger. And if you're in the throes of trying to figure out what you do, what you should be doing, and you don't feel like you have flexibility, then this conversation is very relevant as well. Well, and it, and it reminds me of a study that they did about um, sort of people as they were aging and the older they got, the fewer friends that they had. And it wasn't just because all their friends died off. It was they like actively, some of them did, but they were actively moving people out of their lives that they didn't, they didn't want or need or didn't want to waste time on. And I think yeah. it's, I think whether it's jobs or people, at some point, it's like, I, I don't have the energy for this. I don't have the energy for your BS. I don't have the energy for this job's BS. I don't have the, whatever it is, right? We go, life is too short. I, I don't need to spend time around this person or this thing. You're out. Whereas a kid, right. where when I was younger, it was like, everyone's amazing. I've got tons of energy for everyone and all things. And I will just power through. Um, and then you realize how much you look back and you realize how much time you wasted on stupid stuff. And so I think yeah. it's just sort of like, it just comes with age and, and perspective. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like I'm, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some context around this is really important too, because some of the people we've been having this conversation with are, you know, high six figure or even seven figure earners. So it's, you know, I think sometimes what happens is to use the phrase you use fairly frequently, sometimes the dog catches the car, right? I mean, right. You, you think about that picture of the dog chasing the car and barking, and sometimes the dog catches the car, and then what? And so here you have people that that maybe spent their 20s or their 30s educating themselves, building competencies, building a business, and then they have this successful, thriving business, and it's almost like they're sort of handcuffed to the business, uh, whatever that is. And it's not just business owners. Sometimes it's doctors. Sometimes it's, you know, someone who went down the path of like some highly specialized thing. And they're like, well, I've spent all this time becoming an expert. 
in this space, but if I don't have matching fulfillment, what then what? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to put it and throw all that away and have to start over because that means something. Well, because the things that you own start to own you, right? If you've got a big million dollar house and you're like, this is the result and the reward for all my hard work. Well, that's a, you got to maintain that baby. Like that, that thing is not. Well, and at least in Texas, just the property taxes alone are as big as many people's mortgages on a property of that size. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I love Texas and I plan to be here for a long time, but you know, we, we always tout that, Hey, Texas is great. We're wonderful. We don't have income tax. We have a really, really, really healthy property tax bill. And so call it what you want, but the property tax bill never goes away. You never own your own home. Stop paying your property tax and find out if you own your own home. But, but I digress, but that's not, that's also, uh, to be clear, that was not a recommendation. Do not actually do that. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm helping you, Eric. I, I, I will not be your attorney in that case, nor am I <laughs> an attorney or tax official. But it, but to the point that you made earlier is like I, my joke when I was a kid is I would never I would never want to be a million dollar garbage man. Like the work is not worth the money. But some of the people we've talked to lately, they're not garbage men. They're not bottle washers making a lot of money. They're doctors and people and doing. Owners. I mean, deep, fulfilling work though, too. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I can remember having a conversation um, with a business owner who had a really healthy business. I mean, like really healthy. Most of us would be very excited to be running the business. He was running and taking home the income he was taking home. And it was fascinating talking to him because he was like, you know, when I was younger, um, I looked forward to coming in every day and every little win gave me this like big, like chemical happiness hit. And I was like, dang, look what I'm accomplishing. And he is like, and now I'm closing way bigger deals, making way more money. And I'm like, eh, okay. And he's like, and I just look at myself and I keep thinking like, I should be doing more. My business partner deserves more for me. And his business partner was saying the same thing. And they're both pretty happy with how the other person is performing. But, you know, they were just sitting there and they were like, you know, we work so hard. We never see our kids. Our spouses are mad. Like, you know, I spend so much time at work. I don't see my family and I don't feel like I can slow down at work because, you know, God forbid I take a day off. The whole thing is going to come to a screeching halt. And so, you know, it's, it's almost like they got into business so that they could have more control over their time. And instead of them controlling the time and the money, the time and the money are controlling them and, and they're unhappy and everybody else is unhappy. Right. So, you know, you look at that kind of stuff and it's like, okay, okay. So obviously there's, there's more going on here than just the money. Right. I mean, and, and I think you talked about this a little bit as well. And some of our conversations sort of that I need to be in two places at once being excellent at all times. Can you share that? Yeah, for sure. Well, and it was a, it was a conversation that, that was born out of a a mastermind group about a week ago. And he said a lot of the people that that come into his coaching practice have this this quandary of, I want to see what I'm capable of, like I want to see how much I can actually do, and not out of an ego, but like I I don't want to settle for less than amazing, out of myself. Like and I'm like, and can yeah, I that's... can I add to that specifically? Because yeah. I feel like to some degree, at least for me, I'm like the way I look at this, and this is, this is how I say things. I feel like God gave me a unique set of skills 
And it's my job, the way I can honor him and my time here on the planet is to maximize what I produce and do for the good of others with those skills. That's how I look at that. And so what you're saying, just even with that, you know, let's see what I'm capable of. That totally resonates with me. Right. And it, and it's whether it has been, that question has been forced upon you or it comes from within. And there's a big difference of where that, where that onus comes from is a, is a worthy question of how can I be the best steward I can be of what I have and what Mm -hmm. I'm capable of? Because if I'm operating at my absolute best and I'm giving everything I have, wouldn't, and we're all doing that, wouldn't the world be a better place? Heck yeah. Right? Um, and so it, that's the one end of that question, right? And so it's this amazing thing. And it's like, yeah, like the whole red meat starts falling from the sky and you're like, yeah, I want to go kill it, right? Or whatever, whatever the story is. Like, it, I don't even like, know what that means, but sure. I don't, I don't either. I'm just like picturing people running <gasps> through a field you know, whatever, taking over the world, like, but that, that image of like, I'm becoming this, this, uh, this beast, this, this person that can run through walls and can get things done and, and is not the best of what someone else would want. It's the best of what's inside of me. Even if right. the best of what's inside of me is a burger flipper, I want to be the best burger flipper I can be. That's sort of It's on I your mean. scorecard. It's based it's on, on your scorecard. priorities right. and your right. skill set. And I think that's the impetus for a lot of the questions that people have is they're the best they could be, but they're the best they could be at what someone else wants them to be. And I think mm-hmm. that's the cause of some of that friction. But the other side of his question and what resonated me on that was, but a lot of the lot of the people that go through his coaching program have this other problem. They don't just want to be the best of who they could be. They want to be the best husband, the best spouse. They want to be the best mom or dad, right? And they want to be around their kids and they want to give them that quality time. But every time they're in one aspect of their life, they're worried that they're not being a good business owner. Or when they're being a good business owner, they're not being a good dad. Or when they're being a good husband, they're like, man, but I need to take care of my employees too, right? They're they're always wanting to be somewhere else and they feel guilty wherever they are. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, that's like every day, all day long, right? And And it's not a midlife crisis and what a, what a cool problem to solve because it means you're moving. You're right. right. It's, it's to some degree, like spinning a whole bunch of plates and you've got to figure out which ones you have to always keep spinning, <clears throat> excuse me. And then which ones, you know, you can slow down on for a little bit, but, you know, I think the thing that is difficult about what you described just now is that, um, I have never heard words put to that for men, but at least in the spheres I'm in, women have a word for that. It's called mom guilt. Right. When you're at work and you're crushing it in your career, you got mom guilt that you aren't being, you know, the best Pinteresty mom you can possibly be right. Making all the birthday parties perfect and, you know, crafting everything just so, so that you have an Instagram worthy life with your kids. Right. But, but having that all be real. And then when you're leaning into being a mom, there's this like terrifying fear that, okay, well, if I'm a really good mom and everybody sees what a good mom I am, they're going to think I don't care about my career. Right. And so it's exactly what you're describing, but this is maybe one of those instances where like as women, like we get to deal with this and talk about this in a much easier way than you do. Right. Because so I think especially generationally, if you go back a generation, men just, you know, we're working, somebody else is taking care of the kids. And I think the priorities have shifted 
And at least from what I can see in my own relationship, like my husband wants to be a very active parent, but that means that in order for us to make life work, where we both have careers, sometimes he has to leave work early to go deal with the kid because I can't do it. Right. Or vice versa. And so, you know, what you're describing, I think is really hard because when you hold yourself to a really high set of standards, every exception you make to try and keep everything spinning pulls you out of I'm performing at the highest level to who am I letting down today? And I think that's a really, really hard measuring stick. And I think there's a lot of people that get stuck in that space. And then they look at what they're doing and they're like, well, I can't stop doing it to go focus on the things I really want to focus on because I've built a lifestyle around this income and friendships with other people at the same income level. And even if I'm not happy with how I'm spending my time 40 hours a week, I can't just drop that and do something else because it would mean an entire life overhaul And where somebody might even be able to do that, if it's just them and their spouse, they don't want to change the neighborhood that their kids are growing up in or have them go to a school where they don't have the same privileges or, you know, all of those things that that come with some degree of affluence. And and it's it's so hard because, you know, I, I talk to people and they're questioning, like, am I modeling what I'm supposed to be modeling for my children? Yeah. Is it well, financial success? Is it pursuing purpose and passion at all cost? I mean, is there a right answer? Well, but I, I think the question is the right question. And I don't know the answer, but I think it's, if you're asking that question, then it means you're in the game, like, and you're trying to go figure that out, which I think is the, the, the first test for me is, if I didn't care about the kids, and I'm like, well, whatever, they'll sort themselves out, then, and I just need to make enough money to pay for therapy. And, and they'll be fine, <laughs> right? That's that's probably the wrong starting point, right? Sure. I, I remember talking to my stepfather, and you know, he he grew out on a farm, and you know, far far southwest or far southeast Lubbock, and he said when his parents were growing up, the dads were always working. They're always in the field. They're always, you know, it was a, car, a cotton farming area, and he said, and his dad before him, so this is you know two or three generations back very rarely did the dad ever interact with the kids before they were about five years old. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why is that? And he says, because most of them died off before five because it was a really mm. hard life. Why waste time on something that's not going to, not going to matriculate through, through the process to at least five years old. And then they spent the rest of the time. Once they got out to five, six, seven, then the kid was now, especially the boys, right? They were, they're in dad's lap farming. Like, and so they were around them all the time. Like they were always in dad's influence, but up until that point, not much at all. The dads didn't have much to do with the kids up until that point. And so I think mm-hmm. to your point, like it's culturally, it's shifted dramatically. Like not that many kids statistically die before five, right? We fairly high, you know, survival rates on most of that. And we're not out in a farm 24 yeah, seven. We're working different hours. And different places, like the kid could be right beside dad all day long, getting that influence, getting that the conversation. Well, now they're at school. Now they're at school or dad's at a job or mom's at a job. Right? It's it's just a very different society or it's a very different culture. But I think the question still remains, how can I be the best influence knowing that the influence I have for that kid will span generations? Right. Like my stepfather's 70 plus at this point. He's still talking about his grandfather who's probably been right. dead 
70 years. Yeah. Well, and like to that end here, because you're talking generationally now, I think that even there's, there's a space for right now and the, the choices you're creating for yourself that doesn't have to negate. And in fact, should factor in what happens generationally because and, and again, this goes to, I think, some conversations that we've touched on in other episodes. And I feel like I always kind of go all over the place here. But I think part of what happens is, you know, there's there's two schools of thought. One of them is I had to work so hard to get where I am. And I want to make this easier for my kids so that they can pursue what they're passionate about as opposed to having to make the choice for the dollar. Or... There's, I had to work really hard to get here. I'm proud of who I am. I want my kids to have the same work ethic. I'm not going to leave them a dime. And it forces the issue. And so the thing that I think is interesting is that the money doesn't have to influence that at all. Like you can still raise kids that have good work ethics, knowing that you are planning generationally, right? To make each one easier. But it also goes back to that either or mentality where either I can take care of myself and justify not doing that kind of stuff for my kids because I raised them and I already poured into them, the ungrateful, you know, whatever's. Or, or, right, we can think about how would I wish that my life was different? Because one of the things that I find fascinating about some of this is that, you know, whenever I ask somebody, how would your life be different if suddenly you had an extra million dollars? I have never had anyone, anyone, tell me that their life would be substantially worse because they received a million dollars. They already know I'm going to pay this off. I'm going to relieve stress. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, whatever it is. Right. right. But in every circumstance, they would make decisions that bring them closer to what they believe would create real fulfillment and happiness for them. And yet those same people sometimes say things that sound like, yeah, I don't want to give that to my kids. The money might ruin them. What? Right. And I guess if your kid is like 13 or, you know, even in their early 20s and still figuring things out, cool. But most people don't actually inherit money until they're in their 50s or 60s, right? Right about the time that they're kind of coming out and needing the extra funds for retirement. But right. but I think if we go back to this idea of midlife life crisis, I think it's important to talk about money as a tool as opposed to money as the end goal. Right. Well, and, and I think there's a, so at church, we've, we've gone through these sort of circles a couple of times and had these sort of raging debates and, and not to bring church into it, but it, it helps here. This idea that money is the root of all evil. Well, money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you sort of break that, that down, but then there's a it's whole idolizing the money as opposed right. to using it as a tool. That is Correct. the issue. And then there's another, so what seems like on its surface, a very competing story about what they call the parable of the talents. Uh, this guy got 10, 10 talents, 10 pieces of money, 10, whatever you want to call it. And he did something with it. He produced more and there was a, a reward for him on the other end. There was the one that got five. He did good with it, got more. There was one with one, right? He didn't have much to start with and was scared and he buried the money and handed it back to the owner when he got back. And the retribution and the scolding on the other end was fairly severe. 
And so to me, you have sort of two almost competing stories where money is good, like producing is good, and the love of producing is bad. But I think when it comes to this story is the pursuit of money is bad. The pursuit of wealth, and I'm going to use the term wealth as being useful, being productive, being of value to others is really good. And so I, I think that's the distinction, right? If you are using money as a tool for creation or production, right? right. Whether you are creating memories with your children or you are creating value to other human beings and there are revenue streams that come from that. This idea of being a producer or being a creator, I think is really important because even if you think about what every charity or church ever asks for, right. there is a plethora of people who are willing to volunteer. There is never enough money to create what they need for their mission. And so I think this idea that money is about greed is only true if you are idolizing the money and the hoarding of the money and only what it gets you is the issue rather than using the money as a tool to create more good in the world. And good can come in so many different ways because even consumption right, is going to benefit someone because I am trading my dollars for a perceived value. And those dollars are going to someone else's household where then they can use those to produce more value the same way. Sure. And so I think, I think this is so key because I have talked to people who are in high paying jobs and they won't leave because of the money, but they also aren't doing what they need to do to position themselves to have more freedom and make different choices. And, and what happens is when we don't believe that we have choices, we just sit with our misery. But when we know we have choices, then we can start to explore which choice is the right choice. Well, and, and I think once you're doing that, then you're in a position of sort of agency, I guess, on that side of it. Before you're just like, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know how to solve the problem. All I know is I'm stuck in the mud and I don't know what to do with it. Maybe if I buy more crap on Amazon, my life will be better. Ah. And then we wake up and I say this because this is what we do. Um, hey, my job is to feed garage sales for other people next there you six, go. in the next six months to a year, right? No, but it, but if you think of it, it's, it's I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do the lowest thing I can. And then mm -hmm. I'm shocked that I don't feel fulfilled by it. And it's like, well, what did you, it wasn't a magic elixir. There's nothing on Amazon. I've looked that is I buy this thing and I'm magically happy. It comes on the other end of being productive and doing good things and being around good people. And so I think part of it in that, that mode is where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your energy? Cause we don't, we only have time and energy to spend. That's it. Right. Uh, we can always make more money but we have limited amounts of time and energy. And so where are you spending that? And is it getting you closer to sort of that level of peace? Are you being productive or are you just existing? And I think some of that is the key to that midlife. Yeah. Is it, is it like a short term? Ooh, I feel good when I bought this. Or is it a longer term? Wow, that really did something for me. And so we we talk a lot about this idea of making your dreams list and then making sure that you are actively realizing your dreams throughout the year. And um, I think there's this really interesting concept. If you are waiting for a sign for what you should be doing, you're going to be waiting a really long time if you're most people. 
but through action, you can figure out what works and what doesn't work for you. And, and I shared a little bit of this with, um, one of the people we were talking to, I think last week, but, um, you know, when I look back at my trajectory and I, I think this is useful, which is why I'm, I'm talking about it. I went from in my mid twenties struggling to even like make enough to pay my bills, um, to being in the top 10% or 1% at some point of the industry. And by all accounts, like looking at the family I was building the house I was living in, the car I was driving, like I should have been ridiculously fulfilled, right? Even with the charities I was working with, whatever it is, right? right. And um, and I still hit a point probably right before I turned 40 where I was like, really, is this it? Like I'm doing major good for people in their lives and I still hit that, right? And so- and, and I never lost the attachment to the impact of what I was doing, but I started looking at is the way I'm doing the work, the way I right. want to do it moving forward, or am I doing it the way other people say it's supposed to be done, right? In terms of hours that I work or where I work or any of those types of things. And so like, what happened is if you think about sort of this journey, it's been, what do I want? Why do I want it? Then it's been identifying concrete dreams. And then it's been actually like realizing some of these dreams and in realizing them, several of them, I've been like, Oh, nope, mm -mm, I do not actually want this. I do not want this. And we need to offload it. Right. But that journey has been really fascinating. And here's the part that I think it's interesting. It's a small thing, right? In the scheme of things, but I think it changes the trajectory by a lot is that we talk about budgeting structure and our discretionary account, which is the freedom to spend in that right. account, right? And I always jokingly say this, but it's really only a little bit joking. Like if all the rest is taken care of, my bills, my savings, all of that kind of stuff. And this really is my spending money. I'm broke every Thursday because I know I'm going to get a new check on Friday, right? Just in that one account. But here's what's fascinating is that as I have gone through and as I have done the cataloging of which dreams I like, which dreams I don't like, which ones are working, which ones are bringing peace, which ones are more stressful, the way I spend in that account has changed dramatically. Like the little things that I used to do to try and make myself feel better on a daily basis for whatever it is, right? Like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Because I have more clarity about what actually brings me fulfillment. And I think that's where the combination of like having these conversations with people who deal with the money, which ultimately can create freedom for you is so important. And when we have life purpose conversations over here and money conversations over here, and the two don't come together, I think we do ourselves a huge disservice because then it's money for the sake of money. And I'm doing these things to continue to earn instead of asking ourselves, are we actually building a life that we are excited about? And, and let's do the self-analysis to figure out what has to change about me in order to get to that life that is more fulfilling because the mindset has to come before the strategy or the tool implementation or what you're doing doesn't really matter. Well, and, and, and not to put a bow on it to some, to some extent, but I think the idea is it's probably not adding more stuff. 
Right. Right. I mean, I think there there's more value in subtraction than addition on that end of it. And going, do we really do we really need this? No. Do we really need this? No. Almost the elimination diet for money. Of, mm-hmm. But I think it's also the elimination diet for not just the money and the things, but the activities that you're doing. Like mm-hmm. the the biggest thing that I thought was such a blessing for COVID in disguise was I couldn't do all the stuff that I normally did. Meaning I didn't have all the obligations that I normally had to go do that I sort of signed up for. And then it just became this monster that was controlling my life. It was like, I don't have to do that anymore. And then it came became a question of, okay, well, now that it's back, do I, do I want, want to it? add that in? Is that something I don't want to add back? Or is that an is that an obligation that it's not it's not my obligation? That's just a stressor and I'm not giving value into anyone, right? And how do you how do you go judge that? And I think there's a certain part of that elimination that says we we gotta pair back to the things that are really, really important and make sure that all the financial stuff is aligned with making those things happen. And then everything else is a probably a slow add. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. what this cadence is on that, but every six months, every year, be very, very, very stingy with what you add back in. Because once you add it back in, it becomes this consistency bias. It's this thing that you're going to do, whether you should be doing it or not, but you just want to be seen as reliable and consistent. And it's like, nope, mm-hmm. nope. be very stingy with adding stuff like that back in because it will has a tendency to take over. Sure. Right. And and I think I'm I'm just going to add this piece. I think these conversations should be normalized because what I have found is, you know, people will sort of hint about an unhappiness in the conversation. And then you and I, because we do this all the time, we're like, I'm going to pick at that and see what happens, right? Like, I'm going to ask the follow-up question. And there's almost a sense of embarrassment, especially for people who have achieved some degree of financial success, because they feel like, what do I have to complain about? Like, these are first world problems, right? right? And so there's almost a sense of shame or embarrassment that they've reached a level of success and they don't have the matching feeling and they think maybe there's something wrong with them or they're the only one. And I just think it's really important to say there is nothing wrong with that. Well, have the conversation and figure out where you want to be, even if it's a journey that takes you a couple of years. Or a decade. What else have you got to do with your yeah. life? That's okay. <laughs> it's, right. I mean, that that's the one thing, right? And I think especially, Eric, going into the holidays, which for some people is such a beautiful time. And for other people, it highlights for them all the things that they aren't happy with. Go easy on yourself, right? Yeah. Ask, ask the questions of yourself without judgment and give yourself the same grace and space you would give your best friend and then just start taking the steps, right? Even if the step is just initiating a conversation. Well, and, and I, I'll close with this, that there's a great quote and I'm going to botch the quote, but Henry Ford says a lot of people don't see opportunity because it comes dressed in all overalls and looks Mm -hmm. a lot like work. Um, I think there's something on the other end where we're just ready to write a check to be done sure right and or we just want to rush to the uh, rush to the decision or just to get it done to get it off of our plates and i think there's something to be said for going back to community going back to like for me it's church right but maybe it's a friend group or community or the other places where there's a grounding there that i think we've forgotten because we're all remote sure right and but community also looks like a lot of work 
because there's people and it's messy and there's bodies everywhere and all the stuff, right? But maybe that's the reason why it worked for millennia because it grounded people in a way that was different than what you could just get by buying something or making more money or doing the thing, but right. it's messy and it's a lot of work, but it, I'm finding the more I lean into it, the more grounded and peaceful I am because I know what's real and it's different. And it, once I see it and feel it, I know that it's capital T truth, not like fake T truth. Right. That's a word. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to, there was a bank rate study that said like it something like upwards of three quarters of social media users saw a post that made them feel badly about their own finances. Yeah. I mean, like this is so much more prevalent than I think most people realize. And I think the only way you get control of that is by actively working to figure out what your priorities really are and then taking the steps to go toward them. So like, yeah, it doesn't have to be immediate. I mean, I I will tell you, I've had two conversations today alone with people that leaned into doing all kinds of financial stuff to create additional income really quickly. And, and in, in the conversations just today, and I feel like this happens all the time. They're like, man, I wish I hadn't rushed. I wish I had done one at a time. I wish I had done this more methodically because I jumped in, you know, to the deep end and it was overwhelming and stressful. And yes, I'm in a better place now than I was, but I could have gone more slowly and the ride would have been a little more fun. And are are both of these conversations this morning with Mike? No, no, no. Those are both. Funny. (laughs) No, we have had some of those conversations as well, but no, to other people unrelated. Um, And so, you know, I I think what happens is we all like to believe that we're special and unique and that we're the only ones having these problems. But the fact of the matter is that we have more things in common than are different. Um, And I think even just recognizing that this is a normal part of adulthood Um, And that it's not, oh, shoot, I made a bunch of wrong choices and I should have done things differently. It's more everything I did got me to where I am. And now I get to go on this great and exciting journey over the next portion of my life. Um, And I think setting yourself up financially to make those choices is a really important part of that because you can either lock yourself in to one particular path and then you have no choices um, or you can set yourself up for choices. And the sooner you start setting yourself up for choices, the sooner you get to actually make them. And that seems maybe a little bit at odds with what I just said about not rushing in, but it's the starting of the conversation. I think that is the important part. And then implementation needs to be done. That's slow and steady wins the race, right? Yeah. I mean, well, and the sometimes the hair gets lucky, but yeah, and and I think the permission slip to pivot, I think, is also yes. important. Man, that yes. sucked. That was a horrible choice. Nope, I'm I'm moving. Right. Uh, where can they find you, Mary? You can find me at the Wealth Woman wherever you social media. What about you, Eric? And you can find me at Economics with Eric wherever you social media. Thanks. See you next time. Specific financial concepts and advanced strategies are presented to you for educational purposes only. We cannot and do not guarantee their applicability to your individual circumstance. We encourage you to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals on all financial matters. Provided content is for overview and is not intended and should not be relied upon as individualized tax, 
legal, fiduciary, or investment advice. Neither Wealth Woman, Acorn Grove, or the Wealth and Income Podcast, nor their representatives provide tax or legal advice. For answers to specific questions and before making any decision, please consult a qualified attorney or tax advisors. All numeric examples and any individual shown are hypothetical and were used for explanatory purposes only. Actual results may vary. Investing involves risk, which includes potential loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Life insurance should be purchased by individuals that have a need to provide a death benefit to protect others with insurable interests in their lives against financial loss. Life insurance is not a retirement plan, investment, or savings account. Not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or any governmental agency. Insurance and investment products, not a deposit, not FDIC or NCUA insured, not insured by any federal government agency, not guaranteed by any bank or credit union, may lose value. Please visit the Wealth Woman website disclosure page for other important disclosures.